Ladies and gentlemen, it is with Sonar time. It's Wednesday. It's three o'clock and we are excited to give you guys the rundown today. We're going to be talking about a few different things today, give you a few familiarities on the truckless side, but then we're going to talk about uh, used truck equipment. We're going to talk about why Nice Swift got a good deal with US Express. And we're going to talk about what is happening in the intermodal markets and the chaos that's happening over there. And finally, the demand crunch uh, and the impact of that. So before we get there, uh, Tony, how you doing today? I'm good. Good. You know, a little slower news day today than uh, yesterday. So. That's right. I mean, that was big news. That was right up your alley. You're, you like the, you're a big M&A guy. Yeah. So no, exciting stuff. It's always exciting when you get to talk a big acquisition yeah. in the space. And I don't know if we'll be done talking about that this year. So we we'll, may see. we'll see how that, that plays out over the next, what, nine months. But that's right. Uh, we've talked about another big one later this year. Exactly. And then Tanner, you're a big, uh, you're, you're a big, uh, um, stock market guy, right? Big news happened today, right? Fed was, was give us an update there. What happened? Yeah. Uh, pretty much what we were expected. Uh, it was about a 90% chance that we were going to get a 25 basis point hike. It's exactly what happened. They came out and said, Hey, banking system's completely fine. We've got it under control. Uh, and, and Tony, you said it a few times ago. Sounds like we've got two, maybe one more 25 basis point coming. And then yeah. we, we might be done. We could be for the time being. But also, uh, Tanner, you did, were, you were not with us last week. You were in Mexico, right? Was. How was that? Yeah. Great time in Mexico. Uh, besides getting hurt on the beach playing volleyball, uh, the very first day. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I had a great time, sat by the pool, relaxing, but, uh, hey, we're back. I, uh, thanks for having me back and mm-hmm. get back. Speaking of Mexico, stay tuned. And later this year, towards the end of Q3 is the estimate it is subject to change, but. At the end of Q3, the estimate is that we will launch our sonar contract truckload rates in Mexico. So stay tuned for that. So while we're on the topic, but anyways, more news on that when that comes and when that gets confirmed. So uh, what I want to talk about here first is we, we've seen a lot. We, we know the truckload markets are down. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. I think everybody knows that the market is soft. But what I want to talk about is even in this down, the down market, how it's almost causing an imbalance in the freight markets from a different geography perspective. You know, we, when you think about the truckload markets and you think about the biggest markets out there, what, what comes to mind first? Tony, let's go to you. I mean, Southern California, so, LA. Yeah, LA, Ontario. Ontario. Yeah. yeah. What's another big one? Atlanta, Memphis. Atlanta, Harrisburg, Harrisburg, Harrisburg Chicago, all the... Those are the big ones. And those are still significant, right? I don't want to take away from that, but there's two markets in particular that are really starting to, I think, gain traction right now. And they are in different areas of the country, but very well connected in terms of what shifts through. Let's go ahead and throw this map up. We're going to look at Detroit and we're going to look at Laredo, Texas. So this map here, this is the outbound tender market share over the one year, over a one year change, meaning the darker the blue means the more higher percentage of freight that that market has of the nation, the more red it is, the more market share or percentage of freight that that market has lost over the last year. And the white markets mean they haven't really moved a whole lot over the last year. So, um, so this map, like we see Houston there, um, kind of there in the Gulf of Mexico, really dark blue. It doesn't mean, and we see LA and Ontario is red. It doesn't mean that Houston is bigger. It just means that over the last year, Houston has gained more market share compared to Southern California. Yeah. So the way to really think about this, especially in this market where it's declining volumes as at the top, right? Uh, as the right. whole market. In this instance, it's not that these markets have seen volume growth. It's just maybe 
in some instances, it's maybe they haven't fallen as far or as fast as some of the other ones, right? And so like you saw, you saw a 10% reduction in volumes in LA and you only saw a 2% reduction there, say in Houston. Well, Houston in terms of market share has taken some market share from a market like LA. And that's where looking at this map is so vital because you can see where these changes are happening. Right. In kind of this real time aspect where like you said, you see Houston, a Laredo, a Detroit. Those are all markets that have grown. The other part of that, look at the East Coast, Savannah, uh, what is it? Baltimore. Yeah. Wilmington. I mean, these markets that are the East Coast port markets and been able to take share. Then you look at the West Coast, those port markets, LA, Seattle, they're the ones that are seeing market share declines. Yeah. Taking big hits there. I, what, you know, what was, when we think about, Detroit, what do we think of? Uh, I think auto, auto, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. A lot of auto production is still up there. I know a lot of folks have talked about, you know, Detroit isn't as robust as it used to be, but it's, uh, it's still the auto capital of the U.S. But a significant amount of a lot of auto parts are manufactured in Mexico. Monterrey is a big hub along with some other hubs. Biggest border crossing? Laredo. Yeah. Right. And Laredo's pretty green right now, along with Detroit. I think we're going to see, I think that's going to stay the same. I think we're going to continue to see that. I think, you know, at our last Freight Waves event, uh, Peter Z had him on stage. He yeah. said that the biggest opportunity right now in, in Central and North Mexico for companies to reshore to Central Mexico. It's, yeah. it's cheap. It's close to the U.S. We're going to see a lot of that reshoring. That's where the biggest opportunity is. Uh, I think you start to see Houston, Laredo. I think those markets are going to continue to see growth on, on cross-border freight over the next five or 10 years. The labor in Mexico is currently half of what it is in China. Yeah. Which is half of what it is in the U.S. Yeah. And that's a trend that it's really shifted over still the last 10 to 15 years, right? Right. I mean, that was the whole theme with why you saw a lot of going overseas into China because it was, the labor was cheap. It was cheaper manufacturing, things like that. Well, now it's kind of shifted, right? As, as that economy has become more mature, it, things get more expensive as you mature. I mean, that's why you look like in Europe, Eastern Europe compared to Western Europe, things are cheaper in Eastern Europe than Western Europe because it's the same concept. So Mexico is, I mean, it's prime for this cross-border growth yes. as nearshore and reshoring continue. And then you factor in, you've added in this, and we'll talk about intermodal here before in a little while, but you add in this merger between Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern, it gives you connection across all of North America, right? You go coast to coast in Canada, down from basically Chicago south, down into Mexico with that rail line. So it's the only rail line that's gonna give you direct access through North America. It's gonna, as this importance continues and that trend continues in nearshoring and reshoring, it, it that cross-border freight becomes even more important. And then also on the flip side, so going back to that Detroit, now I know Grand Rapids is, is it's basically white, it hasn't changed, but that yeah. whole area of looking at Wisconsin and Michigan, think about the lithium battery opportunity as well, right? I mean, Ford just signed a deal with Chinese company to build a plant in Kenosha, Wisconsin, like th that whole area is going to explode with that as well. There's a lot of land that's available out there. You know, yes, some of that lithium batteries is going to go to auto parts, but it's going to start making its way into other industries and other products as yes. well. Yes. 
And staying on the audit topic for a second, I know uh, Tesla announced their, I believe, launching a uh, gigafact their first Mexico gigafactory in just south of Monterey, mm-hmm. I believe. So we, we might we'll sh- we should we should see further growth there. Let's pivot a little bit, though. I want to talk next. Um, you know, we got to talk a lot of. We're going to be talking about fuel. We're going to talk about air motor. We're going to talk about truck prices. Um, and but before we get to those, I think. Tony, give us a little breakdown. We had the second biggest truckload acquisition announced yesterday. It hasn't closed yet. Expected to close at the end of Q2, right? Between Knight Swift acquiring US Express. Give us give us the Spark News version of, of what happened. Yeah. So deal close or deal announced for eight hundred and eight million. So a three hundred and ten percent premium in share price for US Express going from closing a dollar fifty on Monday. Obviously announced at a six dollar and fifteen cent per share acquisition price. Overall, good deal on both ends, right? Because US Express has been one of this, it's been a carrier that over the past couple of years, they've made some bets and the bets maybe haven't paid off the way they thought they were. At the, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the market itself, like the timing of making these bets and the market changes. They just, the way they lined up didn't function the way it was intended to. And, and I mean, I think Craig alluded to it earlier on uh, what the truck that there was only really three times that the company's lost money. 2008, when everybody did. 2021 and 2022, right? So it's been this, it's, I would say it's been struggling, but it, it's had its challenges and it made sense overall to, to kind of make this exit one, because it's a good return for shareholders, especially as the stock has come down well off its price. But then the flip side, you look at Nate Swift, they're getting 7,200 trucks. What another fourteen thousand uh, trailers? So I mean, you're gonna have twenty five thousand truck fleet, ninety three thousand yeah. trailers. Your so your trailer pool is extensive, and that seems to be a trend that this drop trailer trailer pool from shippers. It seems to be the importance, and those conversations seem to be ramping up more and more. And then you factor in, you start looking at used truck prices and what they're paying for it. You're getting a young fleet. I mean, relatively speaking, especially compared to what the Knight Swift fleet is, which has been aging. If you look back from say 2019 through second quarter uh, of 2022, you consistently saw it increase uh, that age of the fleet. Whereas US Express has been able to keep their fleet relatively young. Well, you start factoring in 7,200 trucks, you're buying that many and the driver at We'll look at the used truck prices here in a second, but you're starting to get 7,200 trucks times nearly $100,000 per piece of equipment. You get really close to that price that they're paying. So, I mean, it seemed on both ends, it's a good deal. Absolutely. And looking at this, I I know that Craig kind of put a prediction out there that he thinks that another one's possibly going to happen within 90 days. I think that there's a huge opportunity here for when these companies, when this market does eventually flip and rates start to climb again, these giant companies are going to have a lot of empty truck seats to fill. Yep. And I think that's going to be a bullish move for the trucking truck drivers in general, right? A lot of trucks have started to leave the market because they're not making money. I mean, we're going to get to a point again where they're going to have to probably get to all time high when it comes to sign on bonuses and rate per mile that they're paying. I mean, look, I mean, these guys have, they're going to have 25,000 combined trucks, Mm -hmm. right? By the time this action just goes through, that's, that's about a, what, 20 to 25% growth just on day one, yep. that's going to be a big opportunity. And the yep. run rate of $10 billion. Yeah. So, I mean, 
And then, yeah, it was to say factor in that they're it, you're buying 2.2 billion. So 0.4 times revenue uh, is the sale. I mean, if you look at the U.S. compared to the USA truck, DB Shanker acquisition, it was 0.6 times last year. So all in, I mean, overall, it's a, it's a really good deal. It's a good deal on the Night Swift side. U.S. Express makes the exit that made sense, uh, that felt like it, it was definitely the right time given the recent trends. I was seeing some comments on Twitter too when the deal was announced that, you know, now like if, if you know, that, you know, they're getting too big, nice swift and they're going to form a monopoly. I, I don't think folks realize how big the trucking industry is and how fragmented it is. Even with this new acquisition at, let's round up $10 billion, that they will own approximately 3% of the market. And you just hit on exactly what's going to be in the Daily Watch tomorrow, because that is what I was going to talk about, because I, that is the, all the comments I've seen is about how this is a monopoly and it could not be further from the truth. Because when you think about the total number of tractors in the market, 25,000 really isn't that many compared to the broad market because people don't realize how many owner operators there are yeah. for small fleets are in the market. It's some, something like 93% of fleets in the market are 20 trucks or less. Yeah. Like it's, there's so, that's, it's exactly what I'm going to talk about. Deal. So for, for, for a further deep dive, read the Daily Watch tomorrow written by Tony. Um, let's, let's pull up used truck prices then. Cause I think this will give us a little perspective on, on the deal, uh, that, that truck place here. So like you said, they have a very young fleet. How old is their fleet? Uh, it's place? just under two years, just under two year trucks. So. We don't have two-year truck prices, but we do have three-year, which is the dark blue line. We've got the four-year in yellow and then the five-year here in uh, green. Um, and you've got the price there on the right. So basically, uh, three-year-old pricing is about $95,000, just under, followed by four years. It's interesting. There's a much bigger gap between the three- to four-year price and between the four- to five-year price. Yeah. Um, but truck prices have fallen. What's that number? I believe it's 33% yeah. since their peak in, about a year ago. Is it? So approximately over a year, they've fallen a third. Yeah, I mean, it's followed the market in this, yeah. this softness period. So, I mean, you're talking, again, there's room to run. I mean, yeah. or what? We were talking used three-year-old truck was $70,000 back in 20, I mean, even maybe a little below that in the 60,000 range. So, I mean, you're talking to have to get almost another 30% decline to get back to pre-pandemic or what was normal. Obviously, there has been inflation that, that plays into that, that you, right. you're not going to see it necessarily go all the way around. But again, it goes into it. Quick math. Even if the trucks are worth $100,000, 7,200 trucks at $100,000 is $720 million. That doesn't account for any of the revenue. And the trailers, that's just equipment. the truck, right? Yeah. It doesn't include the drivers of said truck, trailers. In trailers, yeah, exactly. So it's a good deal. It's a good deal on on both sides. Yeah, they they you could you could make a pretty strong argument that assets alone they they got a billion five right there. So so yeah, very very strong, very strong. Um, let's let's jump over a little bit here. We're going to talk um about the fuel for just a minute because I know fuel was a really hot topic a year ago and it stayed a hot topic for a while. Then it kind of cooled off. And I want to show really the the contrast that we've been seeing a lot between rack. And what wrap, which is the wholesale price, and then also the, the diesel price. Um, and Tony, you were actually, uh, excuse me, Tanner, you were tweeting about this the other day a little bit uh, on how it's 
a lot of these carriers, especially spot carriers, they're going to have a lot more money in their pockets now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if the current regression continues on what we've fallen down, yeah. we could possibly see about $3.50 per gallon at the pump by July 1st. Wow. Right? So if that's a $2, it's exactly a $2 drop since yeah. the recent peaks in November, right? So you're talking about $2 a gallon divided by roughly five miles per gallon, right? Yeah. So on a thousand mile run for a very small owner operator, that is $400 back in their pocket. Right. Now, I know, I know some folks will say, well, hey, fuel surcharges will come down, but that's that doesn't always apply because a lot of these owner operators run the spot market, right? Yeah, I mean, even they're getting an all in price. Correct. But even for giant corporations like Night Swift Express, I guess, is, who knows where they're going to go by. But uh, even for them, they still have to get back to where they originally came from. So we're looking at backhauls. We're looking at any overage from yeah. customer freight. Like they're still going to see that money come back operationally. Yeah, that's a good call. What's the now we've seen the rack price here on the left chart has dropped 40 percent from its peak approximately a year ago. And then we've seen wholesale fall or excuse me, retail fall by about 26% from again, a little less than a year ago. Why is rack falling at such a faster rate? And should we expect retail to eventually catch? Some of it's the volatility in the rack price. I mean, so if you think about the retail, how the retail price is set, set by the station, right? They're buying their fuel at the rack price, right? So they buffer in that margin because they're paying taxes on fuel and things like that. So if you think about fuel, for the most part at these truck stops is not a money maker. They're just trying to offset the cost is why at the retail locations, it's a little higher with the volatility. They have to add in a little buffer because we've seen it. That rec price has collapsed in a matter of a couple of days. It goes from $1.10, which is basically what their cost is on taxes and things like that per gallon to 80 cents. And now they're out 30 cents per gallon per day, which if you think about how many trucks flow through a truck stop in a given day, it's a lot of money. So they're basically factoring in a little extra buffer given the volatility in this market. As that volatility hopefully smooths out at some point, you're going to see that, that gap between the two kind of get back into the more normal range. And that's where you're going to see diesel prices at the retail location kind of find, I don't want to say a floor, but they'll move in a more consistent manner. Tony, do you think that the station owner is is passing all that discount on to their bulk buyers, right? Because we can see there's between 40% on the rack, 26% at retail. There's about a 14% drop that they're not passing on to retail. So do you think they're passing that on to their bulk buyers? Uh, No, I mean... Some yes and some no. I mean, it depends because, I mean, you can see it. Look at, uh, and this is an exercise I did last week, just kind of looking at truckload car- carrier, big enterprise carriers, because that's really buys in bulk. They get some discount from this truck stop if they have solid fuel contracts with them. But they don't make a, t- they don't make a whole lot of money, if any, on fuel itself, or they have it recently. Uh, but it kind of, the fuel surcharge kind of offsets that. So you really don't see a ton of people making a ton of money on this, but it's one of those things that is an offset. Uh, But in terms of them passing on the discount, it's not, not, or they're holding, I think it was uh, TA reported earnings. So travel center, uh, travel center reported earnings. And like, that was the first time really that they've seen an increase or making money in fuel in the, in the fourth quarter. So they have some wiggle room to drop the price lower if they really wanted to, but 
again, the volatility of the rack price. I mean, you can see wild swings on a day-to-day basis that if you saw a 15 cent increase in your cost, it's really hard to go rate. Granted, we see it in the gas stations around here, right? You can see gas prices go up 10, 15 cents a day, but diesel prices of these truck stops, they don't move in necessarily the same manner. Uh, So that's something to remember when you look at this, like they're just baking in a little buffer because of their costs. So I just started mowing my lawn. Do you think I can start buying rack price? Do I buy enough fuel? How many times do you mow your lawn a week? Are you, are you, are you like, are you, see that age yet, Luke, where it's like, it's like you're still, like you look out the window every day and go, I think the grass needs to be mowing. Like how many times a week are you at? So it depends. Like right now, like when you do your first, when you do your first mow, you gotta, you gotta raise up the lawnmower a little bit, right? Cause it is a lot of, yes, you know, it, it does a lot of cleaning of the lawn, but then you know, that next, that next mow, you're dropping, you're dropping down a grade. And then the next mow, you're dropping down, uh, you know, to that third grade. That's when it looks nice. Looks crisp. My lawn looks great. I, I keep it, I keep it high and tight. I thought it was a military haircut at, uh, um, on my yard. But anyways, yes, to your point. Yeah. You cut the lawn, you stand there you put your hands on your hips, you admire it, take a sip of coffee. And you're just like, that's, that's anyways, that's how we're going to talk about. We got one more chart to show you guys before we, uh, part ways here. We're going to talk intermodal. So. Truckload volumes have collapsed. We know that. Uh, the uh, import and container volumes uh, have collapsed. We see, we know that. We saw bookie volumes collapse back in May, and then eventually the imports uh, caught up there in October. But it took a while for Intermodal to really see this. Intermodal actually performed pretty decent in 2022 for a lot of it. Only really over the last couple of months have Intermodal volumes seen the drop that other markets have seen, or other most have seen. In fact, they are now at their lowest levels that they've ever been since we data tracking began in 2019, apart from a couple of holidays and the initial COVID 2020 uh, shutdown. That's it. It's never been lower. Yeah. I mean, you see this and it, it's not a surprise when you see how, think about the intermodal market as yeah. a whole and how tightly correlated it kind of runs with the ocean market, right? I mean, great. This is all container volumes, but I mean, if you broke down. Right domestic and inter, uh, international. I mean, look at how international, international is taking a real, it's taking a real big hit because, yeah. uh, you're not moving those. I mean, it's, it's one of those, there's less demand coming through the parts that's getting put on a train and moved across. And, and ultimately that's exactly what we're seeing here is just, it's a slowdown of overall freight movements. It's just yeah. another mode to look at. Uh, and like you said, it did performed pretty well. I mean, really, arguably 2022 is better than 2021. Strongly the back half was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, which is crazy to think about until you've really hit what, November 1st and right when feeds it start to decline. And really, even at the beginning of this year, we didn't come back out of the holidays to the levels we were pre-holiday, but we didn't really see the drop start until February. Yeah. Yeah, this is a direct impact from the BOLs or at the ports. Uh, yeah. Last two years, we were averaging about 60,000 BOLs per day. Um, last couple of weeks, we're around like 40 to 42. So you're talking about, about a 40% drop in the amount of containers that are hitting the ports. Like, yeah, that's that's going to have a direct yeah. that's going to have a direct effect on this. 100%. And I think it's I, I, I was initially really bullish on a lot of uh, truckload carriers that were very intermodal heavy, as well as a lot of the rail companies. But I think after seeing this, it's 
they're going to be feeling some of that. Now, some may not as much because you, know, you think about somebody like a J.D. Hunt, they're very much more exposed to like the 53s, which haven't taken as big of a hit. But I, I, I think we're, I think they're going to start seeing a hit. And real quick, half of this year. real quick, I mean, it's not just the volume side, it's the rate side. Yeah, they've, they've only come down, the intermodal contract rates only come down, I think it's like 5% here today. Truckloads down almost 10% here today. Right. So, I mean, you're seeing they're, if they don't drop those rates in accordance, like it could get worse on the intermodal side, whereas you see some modal shifts. It's not, it's not a perfect one-to-one movement, but it could be an opportunity that, Hey, we were using intermodal. It's just not competitive anymore. Yeah. Uh, just because pricing, they basically, they haven't dropped their prices in accordance with the overall freight market. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see if truckload, uh, volume steals a little more shift from, from intermodal. Anyways, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. We'll see you next Wednesday, uh, 3 p.m. Of course, have a fantastic rest of your day and stay tuned. We've got more Freight Waves TV content coming your way. Have a good rest of your day. Thank <laughs> you.